Hello everyone and welcome to the Welsh Gifted and Black podcast. My name is Juliana, your host for this episode, and I'm also project manager for and a fellow member of Welsh Gifted and Black. I'm so happy that we are finally sharing this podcast with you. It's been quite the journey, but we finally made it. Before we get into today's episode though, a moment of gratitude for those who have been part of this whole process from the very beginning to the present day. I'd like to give a special shout out and say thank you to the original members of Welsh Gifted and Black, the co-founders chosen by Maiden Rofe, who along with myself include Maya, Sultan, Clarissa, Josh, Manisa, Damalola and Lauren, and Maddie, who joined us a little later on. If you're listening, hey, hello, I just wanted to say thank you so much for your ideas, your talents, the memories and everything in between, because without it, without you all, we wouldn't be where we are today. We've come a long way since the days when we were going to make a 45 minute documentary, but a couple of years and a few member changes later, we are finally making the podcast we first had the idea to create back in September of 2020. Today, we'll be picking up on a few of those conversations we had in the early days and over the course of the Welsh Gifted and Black project about cultural identity and what it actually means to be Welsh Gifted and Black. So some really important topics. So to my fellow original members, this one's for you. To our new members, Tara, Afili and Tanika, welcome. I know we'll be hearing from you shortly when we all introduce ourselves, but thank you for what you've added to Welsh Gift and Black. It can't have been easy to join a project that had been around for about 17 months by the time you all joined back in January of this year. One that was sure of itself in terms of its aims and objectives, had already secured funding, had a growing network and so much more behind it. But you've all put in a lot of time and dedication to continuing the legacy of Welsh Gift and Black. So thank you. And thank you for joining me, not just for today's episode, but also in the creation of your own episodes, which I'm very excited for our audience to listen to. Now, I have to give an honourable mention to Nicole. Nicole, it would have been a pleasure to work with you and have you as one of the team, but you're doing great things in fashion. So keep up the fantastic work and making a name for yourself. And of course, Made in Rofe, Helen, Claire and Gail, you set us up and have continued to support us in so many ways since our advent almost two years ago. We appreciate you all. You as well, Reese, our friend of the group. Thank you for all of your help and support since you joined us nearly a year ago. Okay, so Welsh Gift and Black. I figured it might be helpful to bring you all up to speed on who and what Welsh Gift and Black are, the official line if you will. Some background on how we came to be and who supports us and what we aim to do, not just with this podcast but with the other components of this project. So with that, the official line. Welsh Gift and Black is a collective that is funded by the National Lottery Heritage Fund and was set up by Maiden Roth in August 2020, at the peak of summer 2020's Black Lives Matter protests. We are an intersectional heritage project that was set up to explore the history of the Black experience in Wales, amongst other things. We aim to redress the lack of representation of Black and non-Black people of colour, the emphasis being on Black individuals within Welsh museums and archives, in the curriculum and education, in the media, the arts, in perceptions and history, and in other sectors where Black people are not given the full credit or recognition that they deserve. One of our earliest tweets sums us up really nicely. It reads, sharing black stories, spotlighting black experiences and rethinking what history told you about the black presence in Wales. That is our mission, through the people of colour that we will be having on the podcast and the stories they'll be telling, to our personal experiences that we will be sharing, to the exhibition that we have coming up, that is exactly what we aim to do, our mission and our goal. This will be supplemented by an exhibition that we are working on in collaboration with People's Collection Wales and Glamorgan Archives, not to mention our Instagram and Twitter pages, so of course give us a follow and join us on this ride. This project is not just for us, us being a term that represents both the members of the collective and the wider communities of colour throughout Wales, but it is by us, the Welsh Gift and Black Collective. It's a journey you most definitely want to be part of, but don't take my word for it, see for yourself. Before we get into what you're all really here for, the actual episode, why don't we hear from the group? Let's all go around and introduce ourselves. Okay, I'll go. <laughs> um, I'm Ophelia Dos Santos. I am a Welsh textile designer and climate justice activist. Um, I kind of run community workshops and teach people how to sew, um, and I really focus on making um, climate activism accessible and inclusive. Mm. Um, when we talk about climate and 
like all the statistics and stuff, it can be very overwhelming. Yeah. The language that we use is, is very complicated. Mm. So it's about kind of breaking it down and making it um, kind of palatable for those who think they probably um, don't deserve a space right. um, or a voice in that space. So, yeah, that's what I do. And I do a lot of sewing, just like in my clothes. Um, <laughs> my pronouns are she, her. Um, yeah, that's me. Um, I'm Tara Turner. I go by she, they pronouns. Um, I'm 23, 24 this year and um, I'm a jack of all trades. I do everything. I, the, the terminology for it is multidisciplinary artist, but um, I also do a lot of activism, um, especially around the BLM movement and the Kill the Bill movement, um, kind of like euophilia, making sure it's palatable for like the general public so they understand that like this also like affects them. Um, I also like you, like I'm a nan, I do loads of crocheting. Like, <laughs> that's just me, yeah. Hello. Old lady in that here. My name's T, um, T Fenty, that's my name. Um, also go by the name Cups of Tea, that's my artist name. I'm a spoken words artist, I'm poet, that's what I do first. Kind of coming into musician, I think, maybe. I spend a lot of my time advocating for young children, well, young people and children, um, in domestic violence, um, around BLM, and kind of just building confidence and like that kind of stuff. So yeah. Mm. Cool. I'm Juliana. I'm 23 and I'm an archaeology and ancient history graduate. I'm on like a gap, what's now basically become two years <laughs> since, since uni was supposed to be a year, but things have developed and progressed and in a good way. So I am the project manager for Welsh Lift in Black. I do archiving for Maiden Rove. I am learning sign language and just sort of like using this time to sort of get to know myself as quickly as I myself. Um, get to know myself, try new things, see what sort of sticks, see what I'm into, see what I'm not into. And just really just unwind and enjoy this time off basically. Nice. Especially being out looked at how mm. yeah. you don't know like what not exactly what you're doing. Just yeah. Like, just seeing what works. Yeah. No, I love that. Yeah, exactly. Being exactly. kind to yourself, mm. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because I feel like it's so easy to just go from stage to stage and just be like, mm. okay, right, I've been to high school, been to uni, let's like start working out. But yeah. then people don't really just sit down and think, okay, what do I actually want to do? Like, mm -hmm. Especially if you're not sure or, or there are multiple things that you could go into. Right. So I think that's really what this time has been for me, just sort of just like regrouping and just seeing like, do I actually want to go into this field? Let me just see other things I can potentially right. go into. So yeah. Nice. So in today's episode, we'll be unpacking what it means to be Welsh gifted and black. So focusing on culture, heritage and identity and what that means to all of us. So thinking about things and talking about our experiences in education, living in predominantly white society and navigating all of that as well as talking about gender and sexuality, passing, and quite importantly, whether we as black and mixed people can feel a sense of pride about who we are and the heritage and culture that we come from. So I just thought to sort of like lighten the mood, sort of clear any tensions we might have, mm -hmm. let's do a couple of icebreakers. Mm -hmm. So the first one will be two truths and a lie. So just have a little think of your two truths and your lie. I'll start with you two. Whenever you're ready. Okay, I got, I, had two cats named Shadow, my middle name's Starman, and I've been on holiday to Barbados. You've been on holiday to Barbados? Is the lie? Is the lie. Is the lie. Okay. Yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so um, my middle name's Maureen, I'm allergic to gold, and I have a dog named Carly. Allergic to gold? Dog named Carly. Yeah, we go with dog named Carly. Yeah, dog named Carly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me think. Um, so I once had a horse. Um, my middle name is Alice, and I have a guinea pig. Yeah, you don't have a guinea pig. Oh, I <laughs> love <laughs> guinea pigs. <laughs> well, since we've all kind of gone down the middle name route, um, right? My middle name is Ruth. I am the oldest of four siblings, and I have a fear of dogs. That fear of dogs better be alive. <laughs> <laughs> a 
know, the lie is that I'm the oldest of four. Yeah. Oh my oh, god, you really are scared of dogs. Yeah, <gasps> not all breeds or anything like that, but yeah, I've had a few like life experiences. No, I can only imagine if they jump up, you're like, no! Yeah, so I'm not the oldest of four, I'm like the fifth of six. Wow. God, that's crazy. Okay, so let's do a little game of threes as well. So basically, we can all kind of like ask each other, like, what is your favourite, like, top three X, Y, and Z, basically. So, sort of to like get to know each other a bit more, um, how would you describe yourself in three words? Anyone can kick us off. <laughs> I'll go first. Um, loud. <laughs> I'm very loud. Um, I'm quite bubbly and. Oh god, what's the third one? Um, queer. <laughs> I was trying to think of one, but mine isn't three. It would be four. I was gonna say change demanding body. <laughs> that's not like, that, that's four, maybe. Yeah. I'll allow it. <laughs> oh, mine probably magical, quiet, and weird. Aww. That's really <laughs> cute. You're very actually. I'd say I'm quite laid back, reserved, but then also kind of open. Right, I get you. Yeah, those would be mine. Anyone else got any that we want to find out about each other? What are your top three albums? Oh my god. I know. I already have <laughs> mine because I, I think oh about this question gosh. all of the time. <laughs> That's just too hard to like condense into three. Okay, I'll go. <laughs> so we all love music. <laughs> <laughs> um, my dark twist fancy by um, Kanye West. Nice. Um, Channel Orange is probably like one of my favorite nice. times, and then Sunderson by Don't Cry Eyes. Nice. Um, That's savage. I got my three as well. Um, the College Dropout by Kanye. Um, ninety nine point nine percent by Kate Trinata and um, Channel Orange by Frank Ocean. I think mine would be The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. Nice. And then um, Back to Black. Nice. Frank. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I feel like I should go with something Kanye related like you guys. Uh, <laughs> um, it would be My Dark Twisted Fantasy. Yeah. That's my favourite one, mm. I think. Oh my gosh. Um, what about you, Juliana? I have no idea. I would say... It's a toss-up between Thriller and Off the Wall of Michael Jackson. Nice. Um, probably Channel Orange as well. Yeah. Love Frank Ocean. Love Frank Ocean. Um, anything Beyonce. Yeah. So maybe like, oh, I don't want to say Lemonade because I feel like that's just... Yeah, no, I get you. <laughs> anything Beyonce. Mm -hmm. Self-titled is incredible. Yes. Self incredible. Good, yeah. Favourite podcast? Top three favourite yeah. podcasts, okay. I have my three because I know what I listen to religiously, like, week on week. So there's uh, Today in Focus, which is the current affairs one that I like. Um, and that comes out every day on different topics around the world. And then I listen to the receipts every week. Right. And they go off, I think, maybe, like, Wednesday or something. Um, and then what would the third one be? Oh, my God. Wow, that's a hard one. I like Happy Place by Finn Cotton, that's quite nice mm. to listen to. Um, anything where I'm like learning or hearing stories by people, I think. Um, I listened to Harsh Reality uh, recently, which is really good. I recommend watching it. Nice. Good, nice. I think I have my three. Mm -hmm. The Sense Maker, uh, Shot and Chaser, and Pure Filth. Those are my favourite. Not even heard of it. Oh god. Two of them <laughs> Two of them are included into like the Spotify Daily Drive. Okay. And it just like the sense maker tells you like one story every day to like make sense of the world. Yeah. And then the shot and chaser is like basically like just a quick like question and answer round. Mm -hmm. And then Pure Filth is two Irish um women that just like talk about like sex and like what sex means for like bigger women and stuff and it's like really funny. I heard, um, my dad wrote a porno. Oh my god! I've not listened to it yet. So bad, but so funny. Like so good. <laughs> oh my god, I have to give that one a listen. Yeah. Oh what about you two? What's your favourite podcasts? I listen to so many, to be honest. I think 
conspiracy theories. Mm. Um, that would be one of my favourites. But they talk about so many things, even things that you didn't even realise are actually conspiracy theories and stuff. Um, that, probably The Good Life with Stevie and Suzanne. Nice. And then Happy and Healthy with Jimmy and Alapola. That's a good one. Like mm. a lifestyle, sort of all-encompassing kind of thing. I don't actually listen to podcasts. I listen. I have to watch them. I have to like go see them. So do you like queer YouTube. stuff? YouTube. I like. I, I do you watch Drag Race? I do watch Drag Race. I've had to like about coming into my queerness and like yeah. There's um, a really good podcast that is on YouTube that you can actually like watch and it's Violet Charchki and Got Mick and the okay. two of them are just like talking about like queerness, fashion, like everything. So I would recommend that as like a good podcast to start off with because it's that's so funny. Because that's what I'm doing is like, I'm going into podcast more like you can watch them through like youtube and stuff and there's one called um cocktails and takeaways right. and it's by like um a girl in london and i'm watching that a lot and i don't know i find it really good and really interesting and mm. then i watched like i guess it's the podcast it's just the, the film of the podcast right um i watched like a lot of spirit science and nice. watch a lot of like self-help kind of stuff mm. like what it means to be feminine all of this kind of stuff oh amazing um yeah how about tv shows the top three or movies oh. if you're not like a TV show binger, sort of thing. I love um, so shows. I would say like Breaking Bad, um, Dexter, Game of Thrones. Oh, I love yeah, Game of Thrones. Those are my top three. Yeah, I would probably have to say Game of Thrones is one of mine. Mm. I'm so sad and so cringe, but I absolutely adore Teen Wolf. <laughs> like I love oh, Teen Wolf so much. <laughs> It just feels like, do you know like Tumblr back in 2014? Like yes. I get that vibe every time I watch it and I'm like living for living it. <laughs> and then the third one, um, The World According to Jeff Goldblum. That's really good. It's on um, Disney Plus and he just like talks about like things in like his own little weird ways. I really enjoy that. What about you guys? I think my number one was Game of Thrones. Yeah. Like, without question. Mm -hmm. Game of Thrones, Bridgerton. Yeah. Wow, I was not <laughs> expecting that from you. Yeah, I love Bridgerton. I love all of that, those like, yeah, sorts of like, pieces, mm. love it. Um, yeah. And then it would have to be a toss-up between the Borgia, Spartacus, and Grey's Anatomy. Like, wow. any one of those wow. three. Wow. Yeah. That is very interesting. Yeah. God, we're learning so much. <laughs> <laughs> Um, mine's probably Proud Family. Nice. I love like any house show. Like if you're showing me a house, if it's like fifty minutes, like sixty minutes. Yes. Okay. Oh, they're like, so good. Middle aged TV is where my heart's at. Like Channel <laughs> Four, like, and that's for me. Like Google Box, all of that. Yes. Like, I'm not into series. I like documentaries and like mm. yeah. I don't know. Like let's tell you. I don't know. There's one called Sort My Life Out by Stacey Solomon. Oh yeah. And Ooh. I'm like obsessed with it. Nice. Good. All these recommendations, guys. <laughs> Oh my god, I'm gonna have to do my research. Yeah, like, you watch it and then you'd be like, oh, I need to get rid of all of my stuff. Like, oh, I'm such a hoarder. If you're a hoarder, you're like it. Because she puts like, all of your stuff into like, a warehouse and you see everything you own. And then she's like, all right, sort it all out and check it all away. And you're just like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> I die. Honestly, I die. So, is that like, I can't think of a name that did the thing where you get rid of stuff that doesn't bring you joy or whatever it's called. Oh, you gotta like hold it yeah. and sentimental, yeah. yeah. I'm too sentimental, like I'll hold a piece of paper that like had like something from like my uni, I'd be like, oh my God, but do you remember when? Like, like. <laughs> there was, um, so like over lockdown where people were obviously inside mm. a lot, like we all, we all saw how much stuff we had, a lot of people were home renovating and stuff, mm. um, getting new sofas and all sorts. Um, and then a lot of these shows came out at the same time about clearing out your house. Yeah. <laughs> But on the flip end of this, um, a lot of people were getting rid of stuff and just throwing them to landfill because they've seen these programs and they're like, I don't need anything anymore. Right. Um, so in a way, it's very like therapeutic and like um, rewarding to see someone like change their, mm. their interiors around. But at the at the end, it's like, where is all that stuff going? Yeah, that is the question. I'm, I'm, I have such a negative <laughs> view on the world sometimes. Yeah. It's like where's it going? 
But like people think like away is like well like people like it's like such a privilege to think that like away is like oh that's like out of sight, out of mind. But it's not, do you know what I mean? It's in someone's back. Exactly. Or being incinerated or whatever. So okay, well now let's get into the meat of the episode. What's everyone's cultural backgrounds? Uh, by documents I go by, because I am very mixed race, but um, by documents I am Welsh, African American. So I would describe myself as mixed race. Um, I have Welsh and Cape Verdean heritage. Um, By appearance I would say I'm probably more white passing than anyone here. Um, So I've only really been exploring my Welsh um, mixed identity more recently. Um, but yeah, I would love to learn more about my heritage in Cape Verde and West Africa and kind of how that all came to be, how my mm. family came to be in Cardiff, really. I'm Jamaican and Bayesian, so my dad is Jamaican, my mum's Bayesian, so I'm fully black, I guess you could say, but then like on my granddad's side, on my dad's side, I'm German-Jewish, so then there's a lot of different right. things there. Um, yeah, but Welsh-born. I am mixed race, um, I am English, and my dad is from, same as you, is Jamaican and from Barbados, and my mum is Italian and English, and I mostly get mistaken for being Asian, which is really, I'm really grateful because I really like the Asian culture, but I am not Asian. This might sound like a weird question, but when do you all realise that you were black or mixed race? Like, when did it dawn on you, like, oh my gosh, I'm different, potentially, to the people in my surroundings? And what was that experience like? I have, like, a really, like, prominent, like, core memory of this. I was in the middle of switching schools. So, like, I grew up in Pembrokeshire and I went to Tenby School. Then I went to, we moved to Pembroke Dock then. So I was in Pembroke Dock School and on my first day, they took me into the hall. I was in year five, I think. And they sat me right next to the one other black person that was there thinking that like we'd get on because of like oh my god you're black I'm black yeah (laughs) so like that's when I like really like figured out that like oh wait I am different yeah I think for me it wasn't until after school so I was kind of in my own little bubble up until like leaving school um I went to a school in a very affluent area very white um they were probably like two not even two, like one black person in the year, a few Asian, East Asian people. And I don't know, because I because I think I've been white passing and, and like presenting as white, I'd never really questioned that part of myself right. for a long time. Yeah. So I just went along with it and if someone said I was white, I was like, yeah, like that's cool. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, as I got older, I think I started to notice some of the behaviours of my friends and the, the kind of community that I was in. And I was like, well, this is not cool. <laughs> you know, one yeah. of my parents is black, yeah. <laughs> <But> <laughs> Because, like, because some people wouldn't know that. Right. They'd be, like, they'd maybe freely speak um, and use, like, derogatory language or be racist or just not not blatantly racist, but yeah. racist undertones yeah. that I wasn't comfortable with. Right. And I always was, like, oh, like, I spoke up about it and I said, like, you can't say that, but it, it was just, like, it was on deaf ears, like, they did not hear it. Right. And then leaving school and leaving that kind of um, environment, I was, like... Oh, and I met I met lots of um, like friends who are in the creative industries who are black people of color and I was like oh this feels so much nicer <laughs> like I feel like welcome and I don't feel othered I right think in yeah. school I had always felt othered but that was because of other issues because um, I was born with cleft lip and I was very insecure about my um, appearance so race wasn't on my mind but my appearance was right so then coming out of school maybe it's it's been um a different kind of insecurity yeah. that I've, I've thought about so yeah bit, a bit later in life yeah for me learning about my color and that i was like seen as black and i was mixed race it came really really early in my life to be honest um i grew up in really really dominant area um dominantly white areas in plymouth um that's like at the bottom of like england right and from the moment we kind of got there, like, me and my family just experienced so much, like, racial abuse, like, and racial abuse kind of from the police that, like, from the age of four, like, I knew that I was black, I knew God. that I was a target, I knew that I was this, and then 
the con them kind of conversations of like Tinker, you need to like know about your skin, you need to know that like when you go to school you're gonna be bullied, that you're gonna have like this kind of prejudice put onto you. So for me, like my family just kept me really conscious from a young age and like right. I'm glad, but like because you can't do anything about kind of the racism. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't say it like prepared me like any more or less. Right. Yeah. But I think it just I don't know, there's just that conversation I think you have to have with your children, especially yeah. in kind of like white dominant areas and even just in the kind of black community anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like my experiences they differ somewhat to yours, Tara, and yours, Ophelia. It's kind of similar to UT, where like um, growing up, obviously, like in a very white society, obviously Wales is very white. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Cardiff, as multicultural as it is becoming now, mm. it's still really white. Yeah. Um, and so my parents, especially mum, she always instilled in me like, "You are black. Know what mm-hmm. you are, because that's the first thing that people are going to see when they look at you. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing that they're going to judge you off. That's probably the only mm-hmm. thing that they're going to judge you off." So as a result, you need to make sure that you're working your absolute hardest and your absolute best, always on your best behaviour because automatically people are just going to come at you with all of these assumptions and everything like that. So you're going to have to prove yourself ten times harder, if not more, than your white counterpart simply because of the colour of of your skin. So I was always aware that I was black. And, I mean, we'll go on to talk about, like, school experiences and stuff, but, like, probably one of my earliest experiences of racism was in primary school when a boy told me to go home and like I was just I remember it so clearly I was in like year six and I didn't know what he meant right in the first instant in the sense of like I was like well I am home I literally lived down yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can walk home in like five minutes yeah. like, I am home why don't you go home Mm-mm. not realizing that actually he's saying like go back to Africa but well I'm not even African right <laughs> yeah for a start, I was born here for a start mm. also you know, um, parents lived here most of their lives, um, everything like that. So, yeah, it's it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. No, it is. Feel free to, like, ask any questions. Like, if you have any questions, mm-hmm. stop. So, you know, like, how you said, like, a mum, like, instilled into you, like, to me, you have to, like, try 110%. Mm-hmm. I think, like, for me, that's what happened. Is I was like, okay, I, I'm this token black kid now. Mm-hmm. And all these, like, eyes were on me to, like, be aggressive or like horrible I was like no way I would do everything in my right to make sure I come out like a good kid yeah mm-hmm. I'll like hit every single like stereotype because mm-hmm. you know I feel like it's per- it's really like pressurized yeah. especially when you're kind of like the like front man for your race yeah 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 did either of you two grow up with like a white mum and like in just yeah. strictly with a, uh, your white mum or yeah. even white dad? I imagine you are. Um, yeah. But yeah, I found that like race can be um, a bit of a difficult topic sometimes in the home. Mm-hmm. Now that me and my sister are older, so my sister um, is maybe more typically mixed race looking, so she's darker than me. Right. Um, and it is hard to have those conversations with your, your white mum who maybe doesn't get some stuff. She, she can try to understand, but right. I think um, growing up, maybe because we weren't with our dad, it, or he wasn't ha- didn't have much of an influence in our lives, so maybe because of that, we weren't really forced to think about race right. when we were younger, and okay, it was yeah. really something that we had to explore growing up. Yeah. I like grew up, so like my mum's white and my dad's mm-hmm. black and I moved away from my dad like at a very young age. Um, so I only had like my mum and my two brothers and like I'm a middle child as well and the only, well, you know, born female. Mm-hmm. So like there was a lot of double standards on me anyway. My mum, like as much as I love her, like would kind of like give in to like the tokenism with us like so like we'd be shopping this is so bad I actually can't believe I'm saying this but like we would go shopping in Asda and like if we'd like wandered off my mum would turn around and be like chock ices where are you (laughs) and like I know that's like really bad but like there was like times where like we just like had to like laugh at it because like that was like all we ever knew and then there'd be times where like my mum would like say the n-word in front of like my white friend showing that like she's cool and stuff and obviously we've had like discussions now since like moving away that like that's not right but I definitely grew up with like a lot of tokenism because it was like really like my only defense mechanism in school like if I didn't point out that I was black someone else would have done it so I had to turn around and be like no I'm black before you get in there like kind of a thing so for me like um I like completely identify with both of you like um I was really lucky that my dad was like in my life really strong until I was 11 he really instilled like my Jamaican heritage and 
that but he was my only representation of a black person mm-hmm. and then when he kind of and my mum is like the biggest coach vulture like I know mm-hmm. so she's like woo in the culture <laughs> <laughs> so, and then when my dad left she, that's when I kind of seen I don't know like you said like the tokenism stuff yeah. was like oh why don't we like have like hair and like extensions and you'll be really pretty and mm. like we make and it was always be like um I don't know like I'm definitely a token kid mm-hmm. and, and my mum talks about it and she's always like I just always wanted a mixed race girl and like I've got you and like yeah I just want your hair to be like all flowy and like we want you to be like and I'm just like why just trying to live yeah. like, yeah, I'm just trying to be me like <laughs> Oh like, yeah, I definitely know a few people that have had kids and that are, like, very, like, um, fetishised in black men and they, yeah. want, they want an mixed-race child, mm-hmm. especially with the Kardashians. I like, was about to yeah, say! Yeah, <laughs> like, black baby. Yeah. Like, yeah. This topic gets my blood boiling. 100%. Yeah. Because... And you don't know how that experience is for that mixed-race child, right? Mm-hmm. Especially when you bring this mixed-race child into, like... Um, environments where they are dominantly white and if you don't know how to look after their skin their hair or even know about their culture or teach them anything yeah. about that yeah. they become so lost in sight I just did that for myself yeah. I did that for so many other yeah. people mm-hmm. my mixed race friends and then they're just like oh well, I don't know what to do with hair like it's fine it's this and then you were taking away like this like, kids like identity and stuff yeah. just to have a token to be like oh look at my little black kid mm-hmm. yeah I know literally <laughs> and I see that with my mum that's my mum like I know that you're for my culture and I know that you're for me but at the same time like I'm not like some like congratulations like you had a black yeah. man and now you've got a black kid yeah and, yeah like, yeah like, i love black and white and you're the proof and, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah 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 and it's the same i see that so much with like a lot of my friends are having kids at the moment and i have to say to them like look i don't mean to come and question you but like i need to know that you know how to like help this kid and look exactly. after his head because mm-hmm. when it gets to 14 15 and it starts recognizing itself mm-hmm. that's when the trouble uh, starts that's when the trouble mm-hmm. starts yeah. yeah and i think some like white parents that have black kids they can it doesn't mean they're not racist and then they can still instill those racist like ideologies yeah. in those kids which is really unfair so like you go out into the world and you are thinking this way and it's like I needed to be around a different culture yeah culture I was um reading a book uh natives by Akela and in that book he was stating that teaching kids racist attitudes is actually a form of child abuse. Mm -hmm. And I 100% agree with that. And like you said as well, like us being like, you know, at 13 and 14, that's when we started coming into our identity. And like, we, like, I can't speak on you, but like, I was very lost in myself. And like, I I had to realize that I was black before I even knew that I was queer. And like, that has like, had such a detrimental, like effect on my life with like, how I like interact with people and stuff. And like, it it just, just doesn't, just go away after like you know you move away from your white parents and like the reason that I shaved my head is because like I realized over the last 23 years of me existing on this planet is that like me doing my hair is just to please everyone else so I was like well I'm just gonna take the power back and liberate myself and I'll just shave it and dye all the colors that I want to and then learn how to take care of it on my own grounds Mm -hmm. yeah I think that's really interesting and I feel like obviously I don't have the same experiences as, as all of you um, coming from my background but at the same time I can sort of relate um, when it comes to like not necessarily fitting in or not necessarily like knowing how um, especially when I go to see my family who live in England so right. all of them they're all Caribbean um, they're some are Jamaican some are from like St Lucia Grenada all these different right. places and stuff like that but then it's like obviously growing up in Wales and Cardiff mm-hmm. specifically in St Melons and stuff like that like obviously the culture is not is nowhere near as strong is in places like London and places like Birmingham yeah hundred percent that where like family are even in places like Northampton and, and different things like that so even like going to the shop in the supermarket things like patties and stuff mm-hmm. that that we we would eat as Caribbean people even um, certain things like ground food like cassava and yam and mm-hmm. different things like that. If I want any of that, whenever we go to London or Birmingham, that's where we go and get our stuff. Right. So, yeah. Um, you might find in as a in the bay, mm. because of obviously the types of people that live there, that is, I guess, they, they cater more to that market. Right. But in general, like, even things like seasonings and stuff. Oh London my goodness. Is, is where we go to, to get all our stuff. It's <laughs> so true. Like um, we especially like when I grew up in Plymouth, like we'd have to go do trips to London, come back with big suitcases of hair products, fingers, done it, done it, done it, done it. And when my dad like left, I lost all of that, and I remember just being like, "How do I do my hair?" It's a shock. 
and I get good view like when I go home to my like Caribbean family and I'm like in London I'm just like our culture is so rich that mm. like it's not even don't need to bat an island yeah. and then you come here and like I don't know like I can just about like, like you said get the season mm-hmm. yeah, this, yeah. exactly and then even down to like how we're perceived so obviously I'm not white but I feel like it's like I'm the white person in mm-hmm. the room yeah mm-hmm. with like those family members and stuff because the culture is so rich and because my parents have to do such a like good job and such a like hard job of like making sure that even here like all of the Bayesian culture all of the Jamaican culture is fed to us like literally and like metaphorically going there and like everyone knows all the dances and do their hair in like certain ways and different things like Mm -hmm. that even though I'm black and I have had obviously that exposure and things like that, it's still completely different. A hundred percent. To to be again like in London or, or somewhere like that. So even though I can't relate to being mixed race, I completely understand what we're yeah coming from in that regard. So like a lack of representation, mm-hmm. isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And that's like nice to hear that because like I was a mixed race person. Like I'm like the only mixed race person in my family on both mm-hmm. sides. Mm-hmm. So really? I like yeah, like I'm like an only child, like the only right. I get you. Family like the target on like both sides kind of thing mm-hmm. so it's really nice to hear that you go through them like same struggles of like when I was learning like saying like, I don't know the dances like, I don't know how to cook something like food so I don't have to do this and like if I was there you can do that yeah like, and it's easy and then it's not it's by having like friends for me mm-hmm. that yes, bring that kind of culture into my life yeah mm-hmm. I definitely felt that disconnect from um, any kind of heritage or Africanness because um, my dad even though he would, he would be like identified as a black man, he is mixed himself. Right. So I think, and he grew up with his white mum. So I don't think he really he he was brought up with a more of a colour blind approach where like you'd just be like, oh, there's no black and white, we're all the same. Oh my goodness. And I think yeah. he just um, kind of neglected that kind of side to him because he he didn't really have black friends. He didn't. Um, want to learn from my grandfather or like learn anything about Cape Bird and, right. and his life so like I was very lucky to have time with my grandfather before he passed and talk mm. to him about that and about his upbringing so um, yeah it, it's difficult because like as you said you can be black but you can still feel disconnected yeah. from um, your, your heritage yeah, um, which is a shame yeah no it's um, oh God, I was about to say something then what was it my brain. Come on, it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like with I like identifying as black. Like it took me the longest time. I think it was just up until like the pandemic for me to realize that like no wait, just because I'm mixed race doesn't mean that I'm not black as well. And the reason that it took me so long is because I have an older brother and he's nine years older than me and he moved away to America. He wasn't born in, like, I, I'm dual citizen, so, like, he was born in England, but he moved over to America, lived there for about, I think it was about a decade. And even though he would experience racism as a black man, he did not identify as a black man. And that was really confusing as someone that like you had to like look up to as like your older brother, him like not even like understanding like the BLM movement and me having to educate him on the BLM movement. Like Like it's- My dad, sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. My dad was the exact same. Like he wouldn't think of racism in um, kind of the microaggressions or anything yeah. like that. It would just be, if someone calls you an N-word, that's racist. Yeah. He wouldn't, like, identify anything else as being racist. No. Like, that's like, so oh, problematic. <laughs> and I feel like, um, sort of like touching on America, so I've got family that live over there, and it's interesting how they don't see the UK as racist mm. because we're not shooting black people oh my goodness <laughs> yeah, wow. right? because yeah we're, we're walking around without the same fear of death that obviously black americans have so they're, they're thinking it's like oh it's fine it's not racist it's, it's all good until we, we tell them no no yours is overt and ours is covert yeah 100 yeah. percent. like taking like, over the skin yeah mm. Definitely, and like it's, it's walking through shops and being followed. Mm. Yeah. Under the assumption that, oh, you're. You're going to steal. Yeah, yeah, yeah automatically. Just because you, you're black, that, auto- that automatically makes you a thief. Like, well, no. No. It's not people not wanting to sit by you on the bus and mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. Or like people like maybe grabbing their bags and stuff. When yeah. Like, well, I'm black, you're white, sure, or some other ethnicity. That is fine. 
just because of my skin color doesn't mean that I'm a criminal. Yeah. I'm gonna hurt you. Hundred percent. Anybody, regardless of the color of your skin, is capable of doing all of these things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's just mad. I, I personally think, but I also think that a lot of it comes down to the UK not. Um, acknowledging the role that they played in slavery oh and my goodness kind of yes because it's all on america everyone knows about american history yeah to death in school mm-hmm. right martin luther king and everything like that it's talked to death but no one's talking about anything that happened over here the mm-hmm. race riots yeah. and the segregation and the, and the fact that literal shows were still happening on the bbc until like what, the 80s yeah no literally people have to remember like where did you film like christmas on the cell phone like you know what i mean i think it's yeah. like tiktok they were like oh they want to talk about america and they were saying the same thing about like oh like english is not really that racist and they're like where do you think the boats came from like, <laughs> yeah do you know what i mean like it's like really like uh when talking about america because obviously i i am like american as well but like i even though i identify as american i am first and foremost like welsh before anything because i've spent the most time here you know i'm learning welsh like i'm here do you know what i mean like i've lived here since i was three years old and one thing that i've learned with like having family and stuff over in America is that their the racism is very loud, but their classism isn't as loud. It's like their racism's a lot louder than the classism. Whereas in here in the UK, classism is so prominent and that's where racism comes under as well. Like the, the, the idea of like the working class, like getting on board with like the Kill the Bill movement and the BLM movement, like that scares politicians and governments because we are the 99%. Do you know what I mean? Like the working class are the 99%. We are the majority, even though we are considered a minority. Do you know what I mean? So I find it like really interesting to see how like classism like still affects like even like walking like into like town sometimes even though I live in like you know city centre I feel like I can't really like walk around in the stuff that I would like to walk around in because like I might be I know stopped and searched and like the police are doing stop and searches at the moment as well so it's scary. I like agree with you but like at the same time like in my head, I got to point where I was like, do you know what? I'm so sick and tired of having to like worry about like where I can step, where I'm allowed, where yeah. I'm this, where I do that. And then I had to be like, I am half white, Tanika. You are allowed to be whatever you want to be, like, right? Like you are like, and I had this conversation in Brixton. And I said to them like, we as like black people, we live in so much fear. Yeah. I was like my white friends will do anything. That hit their moms, their cousins. Oh my god. We wouldn't even like dare to do half no. this stuff. And I said to them like. You have to like stand in that power a little bit and go. Actually, like, I'm allowed to be in these spaces too. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like my heart now, like I'm so scared of the police. Like the stop and search with all that scares oh me. But then I think if that's the case, come and stop me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If I got nothing, the to case, hide. I nothing to hide. If you're gonna follow me around the strip, I'm strutting around the shop now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because you're gonna have to claim it back. Because if not, yeah. you're just like have to occupy the space that we deserve to occupy i'm very i'm a strong believer of that especially for like when like intersectionality comes into it as well when there's like overlapping oppressions and stuff like me being gender fluid me being um you know born a woman me being black you know all this kind of stuff that it's all overlapping and because of that especially with my queerness not so much my blackness but like i dress very flamboyant and i feel like if i walk around town like that like i'm just like asking for trouble but that i'm obviously not asking for trouble but that's like the first thing that pops into my head you know like with your queerness like because you said something about it you were saying that like your blackness had to come first before your queerness yeah i mean since that's the one the same with me and then it's like now that i'm trying to like balance my queerness it's hard like i had to, like, I had to say that to my friend because she was like but you're not like out gay and you're not being gay and i was like because i had to be black first yeah 100 and that was like a big enough problem that mm-hmm. being queer or gay or everything matter but now and then i get like a bit panicked and like i'm like learning actually that one half of my culture like is not okay with the gayness yeah and then i'm like oh but the other half is yeah it's really confusing it's really confusing it's it's like for me i've tried to place myself in that kind of community but then found it's it's like one extreme of being like it's like white men and it's white men's version of queerness right it's not like it doesn't feel personal to yeah me. authentic like, I, i'm just trying to enjoy the drag shows but <laughs> it's not that's not my queerness yeah like, i'm not part of that i'm i'm queer but it's it's not the like typical um like white, white dominated queerness that yeah I'm, uh, attached to no i get you I think that's really special though because it reinvents what queerness is. Do I mean like me? Like um, there's a a collective in Cardiff. I absolutely love them. They're called Lone Worlds, and they do like poetry events like every month, like the queer community, and just seeing the amount of 
POCs that go up and just spit bars about like how capitalism is like the enemy and the reason why we're all oppressed is because of capitalism and colonialism and all this kind of stuff like it's so refreshing and like I feel so like that is my community even though you know it is led by white people I feel like I still have the, like they've they've allowed me to occupy the space that I need to and that's real like allyship in my opinion do you know I mean like you can you can hold the space but you give that space to the people that actually do need it and it's so refreshing you know yeah that's really good to hear that you feel like accepted like in those communities I definitely do not feel accepted in those communities really yeah. why is that I feel really in love with the LGBT group and the group community I don't know if it's because I'm not like a gay person or whatever or da 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 but like I have to like them fight like my queerness if that makes right. sense and then I thought there was no labels on being queer like, do you mean that yeah sometimes I thought just like I don't know like no opposite sex or something was enough to like pass me into this little yeah. group of people right yeah. and then I think it, I, I don't know I, I don't really know where I'm going with this but like you see I don't know where I'm going with it, but it's nice to hear that you get to be that there is like space for you to come into them because like that's I'm still like no completely yeah like I don't want to have to keep defending myself yeah no I completely understand and it's the reason why I'm like so like out and proud and like I do the activism that I do so people like you can see people like me just doing me and you could be like oh well if if they're doing them like why can't I do me like next time like the the collective like meets up and stuff like I'll definitely invite you to like those queer space because like you you are a poet you know you do spoken word and stuff it'd be savage to see you up there and like occupying the space you deserve to occupy you know so speaking of occupying spaces what was school like for you all so sort of like the good experiences the bad the even worse the ugly um standout experiences what was navigating school like all the way through primary up to uni um what was that like as a person of color as i've already touched on like i think i floated through school not thinking about my race at all i had that privilege to have just not thought about it right um but there were conversations um that happened that i would start like I would maybe say, oh, I'm mixed race, or I have a black parent, and it would just come with like a bombardment of questions, or right. I felt like I had to like um, justify myself in in some way. Mm. But I don't think I ever, I've never really experienced racism such, or it's it's more like um, I don't know how to explain it, but yeah, just feeling like I have to justify my you know my existence or that I can't speak up on race because right. I am not you know mixed race mm. looking but I don't think I ever had too many issues regarding other people at school and yeah I'm just very privileged to be in that position. It's like really refreshing to hear that like you acknowledged that as well mm-hmm. yeah. because it's nice to hear that like even though you know we all have our own issues of like racism and you know some more prominent than others it's nice to know that like you know in some other places, you know, some people don't always get, you know, like picked on because of that. Like to me, that like kind of gives me like a bit of hope that like if I ever like have kids and I raise them, they're not going to experience the type of racism that like I experience because mm-hmm. it's starting. Well, you know, racism's still prominent, but it's starting mm-hmm. to like people are being aware of it now. Do I mean? And people are actively trying to be anti-racist, and that's the difference, you know. Mm-hmm. What schools did you want to go to? Like, do you want to name drop? I'll name drop. Yeah, my school was hard. Yeah, my school experience was um tra- traumatic. Really? Are you talking really? high school, primary school? Um, high school, primary school, all of it. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, really, really traumatic. Um, like I said, I grew up in really dominant areas of um, I grew up in like a naval town, so everything was like low income. Right. Um, very like working class and then to add on to that like I had first call um, my parents were like in addiction and like they were kind of criminal painters so I had all of the labels attached to me anyway so a lot of my school experience I got beaten up a lot in school to the point that like people would like try to scrape like the skin off of my back kids are cruel like I've had all like my all my fingers have been broken like I've had the amount like the amount of extreme like racism I thought like this was all in primary school as well Jesus and then I don't know it was just crazy then from that it was just like so much and then it became the teachers and then it came to school then I'm getting kicked out for being racist to like white people but I'm the only black person in my school how does that make sense and then I'm like sat in like 
and me and my mum are there like protesting like how can she be like and all of this stuff and it was just so relentless and so relentless and so relentless and then I think I got to like year nine and then it wasn't like extreme bullying anymore it was like you are now reached tokenism right and then it was like wow Tanika like you're really pretty and like I have to straight start straightening my hair right and started like trying to be works I was like I'm not fitting in at all now and then it would be like, oh, we're going to have you come to our party because like, you're like the bad girl and you're pretty and like all the boys want to have sex with you. And it's this. And then I'm like, I don't know, just on some pedestal then. And then I'm, yeah. like, and then I'm being like bullied for being put on this pedestal for mm. how long because people want to fetishize over me and be like, oh, you're so exotic, you're so this. Mm. That when I like left Plymouth at 16, I was so mashed up in the head because I was, I don't know who I was. Like, I don't know where I belonged to and how to fit into yeah. that. And like school was so damaging because... It wasn't just the teachers. It wasn't just. It was like the teachers, the parents. It was just everyone. Was and like me and my mom could only like defend or fight so many people before we're just right. like. Do you know what I mean? No, I get you. No, that's really traumatizing. Yeah, it was really, really it's disgusting how like this goes back to like what I said earlier about teaching kids racism yeah. is a form of child abuse. Like you experience abuse because those children were taught those racist attitudes and like that's really what it comes down to is that like don't get me wrong the children obviously like need to be held accountable and told like no that's not you know you can't speak to people like that but like it makes me look at the parents more than anything else like why are you allowing your child to speak to another child like this like it's it's disgusting honestly it's so ugly and then I also think now um sort sort of like coming off of what you said Tara the problem for me is when parents are like, oh, well, I can't teach my kid about racism. Well, it's like, well, your kid, as you said, mm-hmm. is being racist to some other child. Mm-hmm. And yet, so naturally now, that kid's going to go home and tell its parents, oh, this person was rude, they called me this, they did that to my hair, they did that to my skin, they're asking me questions I don't even know how to answer. Right. So now they have to go and have that conversation with their parents. Yet, on the other side, the kid that's like being rude and abusive their parents like oh it's fine it's it's not a, an, an issue it's just kids being kids we don't need to, t- to tell our white kids like what racism is they don't need to, to know all of that but then now that is a large part of a black child experience it like, is. they have to be taught they're like pre-warned and taught like okay you it's most like more than likely that you're going to experience this you're going to have to learn how to navigate it you're going to have to learn how to behave and mm. or not behave or certain things will be expected of you you'll be looked at largely like looked down upon in a certain way and this is how you sort of have to handle it and different things like that so I just think as you said it's definitely something that starts at home Mm -hmm. it's definitely the parents responsibility to educate their kids on how to treat other people and it's 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 a thing of skin colour is only it's only skin colour literally bleed if you cut me open my blood is red like yeah I've got the same number of fingers and toes as you same (laughs) organs as you everything's all the same colour as yours on the inside right you don't judge me because my eyes are brown and your eyes are blue or brown or green or whatever so why is my skin color such an issue Mm -hmm. i mean and this is the point i used to bring up when because i like got relentlessly bullied and i didn't i was on some gandhi stuff i was like i'm not touching anyone because like you said i can't change this like the color of my skin right like i still be the same color as you you can literally you it beat me up every single day until I die, but I'm still going to remain the same colour. Yeah. The only thing that can come is, like, through education and, like, changing that. And then I had to, like, learn from a really young age that, Tanika, you live in a working-class area. All of these kids don't even know how to count, like, do you know what I mean? They don't mm-hmm. even know, even where, like, wells or anything like that is. So how can you have put pain on to them because they don't understand what you Right. Want? No one yeah. has ever gone to even teach these kids. Like, we're not taught in school, we're not taught about anything. And then I think that's when we're so passionate to be like, okay, maybe I need to be like some sort of advocate here mm-hmm. because especially in like white dominant areas, it, like you need to shout it. Yeah, you like, do. Let people like know that actually like this is okay to yeah. just be and exist. 100%. Like in a colour. Yeah. Was the word um, like half caste around when you were in primary school? Oh my God, I yes. I at that and I'm like, why was, why, that's so problematic. Like, my mum like used to even call me like half caste oh and everything God, like when I referring know. to me. Yeah, they still get called half caste. Like, oh my I God. feel like it's, it's sort of a thing of, um, people are not sympathetic and empathetic of other people and where yeah. these terms come from mm-hmm. um, and different things like that and their whole thing is like oh well it was okay to say it in my time so mm-hmm. I'm going to continue saying it but it's like no no 
that's not an okay way to refer to people that are mixed race. Yeah. Think about, if that was you, you wouldn't want to be referred to as an N-word. Yeah. So in the same way that you don't want that for yourself, don't refer to mixed race people as half caste mm-hmm. or however else you want to call them, basically. Yeah. I personally think. No, that's, that's, I 100% agree with that. And, like, going back to, like, how I was in school as well, like, kind of like you, I, like, did use, like, tokenism as, like, something that, like, I could use as like a defense mechanism and like that kind of reached its peak when I went into college and I like don't get me wrong like I I, I don't want to out anyone for being racist but like I have a story to tell kind of a thing and like what I say is the truth and like I have no reason to lie but um I still get on with like the people that I go with you know uh, go to I went to college with but um some of them were so racist towards me and this one other person color that was in the group and um through that commonality me and him ended up being like really good friends and having each other's back whenever something racist came up um and we'd even get it from like tutors i remember i came back um uh, just finished second year and i went back to like go and you know meet all the first years again and one of the the lecturers came up to me and put me in a chokehold and said i'm doing this because you're black and like i just kind of laughed it off because like i didn't know like how do you like what do you like how do you respond to something like that like you you just you just gotta laugh and then move on and then go home and then feel whatever you need to feel because you can't react in the moment because then like, you make that person feel bad and all this kind of stuff. And there's all these other things. But, like, going back to, like, me and my other POC friend, we ended up being so much good friends uh, from the racism that we experienced that he actually invited me to his wedding. And I was, like, a bridesmaid and everything. And, and like, he's got a baby now. And, like, I've met his little boy. And, like, it's amazing that, like, our friendship blossomed because mm-hmm. of the racism that we both experienced, you know? I feel that it is kind of sad that, like, it's the trauma that bonded you. Yeah. And I feel like... Um, Especially in my friendship groups in high school, like like UT, like my my high school experience especially was rough. It was because I was quite sick right. in that time, so it was being really sick, um, but then being bullied, not just by by kids, but then it's teachers that want to see minimize all your problems, right. and things like that, and so it was just a lot all at once, um, and then obviously the racism element of of being like so, I would relax my hair. Not for any particular, like, identity reason, in, in the sense of, like, for me, it was just the easiest thing. Right. Um, so, um, it would be in cornrows sometimes, it would be relaxed, and different things like that, but it would be when it would be relaxed, because I'm not, like, the darkest of, like, black people. Right. People would always go, oh, are you mixed, sort, sort, sort of things, like, well, no, black people, our hair is so versatile, mm-hmm. if I straighten my hair, it can look like yours, Yeah. Mm-hmm. right, and then, like, but then it's also so versatile that if I wore it in its natural um, condition, it would just, like, stand up, I'd have an afro, Yeah. Um, especially, obviously, when it's not being relaxed, mm-hmm. and different things like that, and so, like, it was always a thing of, oh, you, your hair's so long, like, how is it so long? It's like, well, my hair, just because I'm black doesn't mean that my hair stops at my cheeks. It is right. more of going, like, down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you see it, like, right now. And different things like that. Or I would have my hair um, in cornrows in, like, sort, sort of, like, have, like, a little tunnel sort of situation going on. Like, right, I get you. And so that would obviously, like, stand up because of how it was cornrowed. And the people would always just be, like, boys especially, would always be like, oh, can I just, like, stick this thing through it? And different things like that. I was like, okay, am I a museum piece? Like, yeah. Like, I'm a person just like you. What gives you the right to one touch my hair? Yeah. And secondly, ask, oh, can I put this glue stick or this these like scissors and all these like, kind of things like through it? It's like, how weird would it be if I was like, oh my gosh, your hair is so soft, your hair is so straight, and I start stroking your hair. Yeah. Yet you feel no issue with like touching my hair or like trying to touch my hair, trying to put things through it and different things like that. Mm. Um, and even down to like with teachers and stuff, I'm not sure if anyone here has experienced this, but I always found that I was always put in the lower sets. Yes. Yes. So, not in like a, a cocky way or, or anything like that, but I was a good student. Mm-hmm. Got really good grades and stuff like that. I should have been in the higher sets. Yeah. Um, and so then they would always put me down like I was still doing the higher papers or had the options of doing the higher papers but when you had some other kids getting like way lower grades all in the top set me down there and mm. and I think even when other people were just like Julie what are you doing in the set like you yeah. should be up there with these people mm-hmm. you can't help but think if I wasn't black mm-hmm. I would be up there 100%, 100%. And, 
and they mark you differently. They they train you differently. Mm-hmm. Like so, even when I was in sixth form, I studied history, and um, one of in year thirteen, the topics was like America as a superpower. So we also talked about the civil rights movement right. from eighteen ninety to nineteen ninety. I was the only black person in the class. Obviously, from eighteen ninety to nineteen ninety, that's going to cover um, like the Jim Crow period, civil mm-hmm. rights movement, and all that kind of mm-hmm. thing. So I just felt this pressure to like know everything. Cause yeah, the only black person there. People are, are going to be like, "Oh, you should know this. You should know that." Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! Like, have, have you heard of this character? Mm-hmm. And um, and this person and what they've done for for black people and stuff like that. And so I feel like there's definitely that pressure to be educated. Yeah. to know. Because people, whether or not they voice it or not, they're expecting you to know simply just because of the colour of your skin. And yeah. I think that's a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. And I guess because of that, I was just like, fine, well, I'm going to make sure I do the best that I can in this lesson. Yeah. In this class, I'm going to do extra reading and extra research. Because if these people are expecting me to know something, I'm going to make sure that if they come at me with any questions, I have the answers. Not that it's my responsibility, but I guess as a kid, like you, you don't necessarily think in that kind of way. And right. And is like, well, I want to be embarrassed. And so in a way, it did kind of help me because then I learned so much more about black people. But right. again, it's all from the American lens. Mm-hmm. About the British lens yeah. and, and different things like that. Even like the Spanish and the Portuguese. Because yeah. they were huge contributors mm-hmm. to the slave trade and different things like that. And... Yeah. The only reason I got a name like Dos Santos, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that comes from black heritage, and people are like, yeah, but you're Portuguese. I'm like, no, the Portuguese had it um, co- uh, colonized much of the West Coast too, yeah. and people mm-hmm. kind of forget about mm-hmm. these things. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like, to, to what you just said, is um, I think Brazil had the most slaves, but everyone's all, all about America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And forgetting the genocide that happened in Brazil yeah. when they killed the majority of the black population there so mm-hmm. it's, it's crazy yeah okay so thinking in terms of like thinking of the future in terms of being black and welsh or black and english in my case um tea um what do you hope to achieve through being in welsh Britain black like with the podcast the exhibition anything hmm. i really want to so obviously i come from a environmental um, background i want to you know um, amplify black voices in that movement because mm. it's not something that we see often and yeah. also black welsh voices we don't that's that's such a um like a small percentage that we need to you know hear those voices they need to be um the loudest in the room when it comes to climate change yeah. because um as you all know like like climate change it affects all of us but it doesn't affect all of us equally and yeah. it's, the damage is being done in black communities mm-hmm. so um, that's what I'm going to do, uh, hopefully, with this uh, podcast and kind of explore that a little bit more. I definitely am, like, a strong believer of that, like, this world does not move without black creativity. And, like, the, mo- like, the more that I think about it, the more sense it makes to me as well. So, like, I think that's, you know, in the last three years of understanding that, that's, like, where my pride has come from is that, like, I am a creator. Like, you know, I do all these amazing things as a multidisciplinary artist and I, like, do have a, you know, sense of pride through it because, you know, I am a trailblazer. Do you mean black people are trailblazers and, like, we should take pride in that because where would creativity be without black people? It, 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 exactly. For me, um, I think I've come here to learn and then learn from you guys, like learn from your experience. Because like, as you said, you guys have gone up in Wales and then I think it's quite nice to become kind of that, like an, an ex- I can't speak very well. <laughs> the perspective of someone who is born from England and being able to compare that to the Welsh experience yeah. and see if there is any similarities or if kind of being English or something plays a different part or role in that. Yeah. And then for me, like I'm so passionate um, for representing and advocating for mixed race children who come from really dominant white areas or come or just more kind of in those white areas and teaching them that there is a sense of pride that they can still do the hair and that teaching the food and the mm. culture and the heritage so they're not growing up and just becoming really really lost so it's really nice to have this platform for the education to be able to speak and advocate so thank you yeah, i feel exactly the same way everyone has said exactly what i would say i think um why i'm so happy to be part of this group is to just show people 
the other face of Wales. Yeah. We exist. There are, like, Wales isn't just white. No matter what the media might tell you, what history books might tell you, there are so many ethnicities. It it is quite a diverse place, even though the numbers don't necessarily support it. But if people were were to embrace that, embrace what is here, you'd see just how diverse Wales is. 100%. I, I hope that that's something that we can show obviously it's not our responsibility but yeah it's, it's definitely something that we could sort of like shed light on yeah through this series through the exhibition even through our social media and all of that so yeah i'm excited yeah me too me too Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Pub, it's tara here i am also the editor of the welsh gifted and black podcast and i just wanted to pop in and say for listening to our first ever podcast episode like juliana said in the beginning it has been a long journey to get to this point and i cannot wait for you guys to hear the rest of the podcast episodes we have in store for you If you have any questions, thoughts, or opinions surrounding any of the topics we've discussed, or you just want to get in touch and say hello, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us on Instagram at welshgiftedandblack, Twitter at wgandb underscore, or simply email us at welshgiftedandblackpodcast at gmail.com. Until the next episode, hoi vau!